sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello and welcome to this new episode in Speech Pathology Australia's Speak Up podcast series. My name is Mary Woodward and I'm Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Chris Morris. Chris is the only speech pathologist in Australia who's currently employed to provide services for, for young people in contact with the justice system in the community. And he covers youth justice service centres across southwest Queensland. Chris, we'd love to hear a bit more about the population you work with. Uh, sure. So as you, as you mentioned, I'm a speech pathologist working in southwest Queensland. So I'm based in service centres, including urban, regional, remote and um, I tend to focus on 10 to 17 year old young people on orders uh, or young people that are at risk of recidivism. So I work um, occasionally in a custodial setting if the young person I'm working with, uh, I've had interaction with and then they, they go into remand and uh, in, or have a detention order and I'll support them through to make sure there's consistency uh, in the service delivery Yeah. and the transition. But mainly you're, you're out and about um in community settings. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm all over all over southern Queensland. So how do you think it's it's different for speech pathologists who, who might work in community justice rather than in custodial settings? We'll, we'll be hearing from other speech pathologists with, with experience working within custody. I'm just wondering how it's different for you. Yeah, um, from, from my own personal experience, I guess in a custodial setting, there's routines, there's support networks in place. Uh, so young people are often, oh, well, they are fed, they're given supervision, they're given structure, they've got routine, they're removed from volatile substances. Mm. So you're working with a true baseline of their, their functional ability. Um, they, they actually want to see you from what I've found. So they want to break their day up yeah. and they want to participate in intervention because it's one-on-one -on -one and it's, it's exciting. So they, they enjoy the interaction. <laughs> it's different to a community, definitely. So I guess when you're working with young people in the community, uh, there's more external factors that can compromise uh, your, your interaction and intervention and disengagement. So there's peer pressure, there's, uh, volatile substance misuse, there's family complexities like domestic violence, social pressures, financial pressures, all sorts of things that can distract the young people. Mm -hmm. um, with this taken into consideration, there's actually no statutory requirement. So whether they're in a custodial setting or in a, in a community setting, they don't have to see me. They have to want to see me. So you're really having to, to, to work with them to get inside, I guess, and and build their motivation to engage. So it's quite often you're, it's it's a cell, um, but it's a it's a passionate cell, and it's it's um, comes from a good place, and they they see this. So um, I'm intrigued then. So so if if a lot of it is about kind of selling and trying to kind of um, gain their motivation, um, in what ways is your therapy 
similar or, or different from speech pathology in a more typical setting? Like how, how do you go about selling it? Well, I guess um, when, when we're looking at the cell, you have to make sure um, they're motivated by what you're doing. So they have to understand and have insight. So quite often um, the cell comes from working out what they want holistically in a, in a bigger picture and then helping them understand how communication is pivotal in all facets of their life and, and, and how it will actually change their, their outcomes and, and, and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. Um, in terms of goal setting, in, in a more traditional setting, it, it's a lot more structured and people know what they want from you and they come in and say, this is what I want. Whereas quite often when I'm working in youth justice, what they want, um, I then have to shift on how I can combine my services to help them attain their goals. So I feel like uh, they're, they're very rigid, the young people that I work with. So often I'm having to sort of, I guess, manipulate the situation a bit and hide the vegetables in the bolognese sauce, you may say. So I'm sort of tucking in what I think they need while we're working on what, what they want at the same time. Um, can you give us any examples of, of how you might have done that? Kind of, you know, have you had to do therapy in, in any unusual places or through any unusual sort of medium? Yeah. Um, well, I guess we're constantly having to be very versatile and creative in the approach. So, I mean, I've, I've done everything from, you know, painting uh, to gardening to, to rapping, which is, I, I'm, not, I'm not cool enough to rap by any means, but we, <laughs> we, we, ha- we have a crack. Um, I've done, I've even done boxing and I'm, I'm, I'm a pacifist and um, the most gentle person you'll come across. Um, and ironically, I used to work in the traumatic brain injury unit. So for me, oh. this conflict of interest, but, um, but look, I was trying to, teach fluency to a young person who was a boxer and we sort of did an activity where where I had to compare um, comparison between single punches to combination punches um, just to show what fluidity does with fluency and oh, was, so, so comparing speech units with with like boxing units for, for yeah because well, well, yeah, he's that was what he he's confident doing and he yeah. knew that well and I I think it was good for him though because he got to see me being vulnerable and out of my comfort zone which also taught him holistically that it's good to be out of your comfort zone and try things that you're not good at there's, yeah. there's pros that come from that and I, I'm sure that that the kids are going to be more more willing to engage and develop a more trusting relationship with you if they see that you're trying to understand them and what interests them. Well, yeah, and, and it's funny and it's enjoyable and and it, it just shows that you can you can do anything and try anything and even if you're not good at it, it's, it's okay as well. There's a certain vulnerability because with the our kids, well, the kids that I see, they're, they're in, intrinsic survivors, so they're very protected and guarded. Yep. So they don't want to show a vulnerable hand. Yep. So actually modelling how to be vulnerable is part of the rehabilitation from what I've seen, which is, is very atypical from other places I've worked in mm. my approach. Fascinating. So, I mean, it, it sounds like such an interesting caseload to be working with, but I'm, I'm sure... I'm sure it presents challenges. <laughs> I was wondering if you might want to share yeah. some of those. <laughs> Look, I, I absolutely love my job. Um, but, yeah, there are challenges. You're often um, having to see some, some, some really sad things and, and experiencing some very, very uh, 
traumatic things with young people on a daily basis. Um, and look, they, they can be very emotionally volatile, they can be challenging, they can be aggressive, um, but there's always rational, re rational reason and, and cause and understanding that is, is part of that, that rehabilitation as well. Um, I mean, there's risk associated with the demographic, but as I said, I love it. Um, yeah. Working in discrete communities comes with politics and, and yeah. social complexities, but if you're patient and if you're willing and if you're sensitive to people's needs and adaptable in your intervention, it's doable and you can get some really fantastic results. Um, yeah, I just, I think if you come in with the, the principle that you're going to be functional and you're going to help them in a way that's transparent, yeah. uh, the young people really buy into that transparency and they have faith in what they can attain. So you mentioned that, you know, you know, you can get some really fantastic results. I was wondering if there are any success stories that you might be able to share with us. I think the success story is, has been um, on, on, a, on a macro level, it has been really being able to promote what we do as speech pathologists and advocate to people in this field, in, in youth justice, what we can do. And so that's been great. On a micro level, I think building the team and working holistically with the, the psych psychologist has We've got two in our region, and it's been really great um, for my learning. But we've, we've done some amazing things for uh, a young person who really didn't want to talk to anybody except her family and friends, and getting her to come out of that shell and develop her pragmatic skills. I mean, now I look at her, she's, she's now got a job. She's had a job for uh, four months now. She's working, of all things, in, uh, in food service. And she's just, she's blossoming. She actually now wants to to um, to become a hairdresser and open wow. a salon. So it's actually <laughs> outside of communication. It, it's these jobs that you're having to interact <laughs> with, with people and having to communicate on a daily basis. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, I, I surprised her by popping into her shop to see how, because I was curious, and just seeing her do her thing and take on the, that, um, the strategies from, from Donna, the psychologist, and, and myself, it's actually, you can see the, the self-concept um, emerge and that sense of, of identity and the shift away from her criminogenic identity. It's, it's wonderful. Wow. Thank you so much, Chris. It's, it's so interesting hearing you talk about the really important work that you're, that you're doing in this space. And obviously, we all hope that in time there'll be speech pathologists involved in teams in all community um, youth justice, well, and adult um, justice community centres um, and service centres around Australia. But but thank you so much for, for flying the flag and getting it started for us. It's totally my pleasure. I just can't really um, emphasise the importance of having that multifaceted stakeholder investment in the community and also really sound transition from detention into the community because it supports the kids and it gets the best outcomes from what I've seen. Yes, which is ultimately what, you know, what we're all aiming for. Yeah, that's it. And it gives us purpose. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing that with us, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Ta. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.